So no one ever said that the Christian life was going to be easy. In fact, our Lord Jesus said just the opposite. He warned, if we can put it that way, he warned that there will be a cost to be paid for those who decide to follow him. Perhaps the cost even of one's own life. Are we prepared for that? Consider the martyrs and the call of Christ to take up our cross daily and to follow him. But the reward will be all the greater. Romans 8 verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present life are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It hasn't been all that long since we came through chapter 8 in Romans on Sunday mornings um, and, and, and faced that rather strange comparison. Uh, of course, there's no difference, uh, even a great difference between suffering and glory. Uh, but the point in Romans 8 is the degree of suffering versus the degree of glory that awaits us. It's not worth comparing, says the Apostle Paul. And yet, in this life, there remains to be a cost that is to be paid, a sacrifice to be made, and, uh, and the will of faith to be stayed upon Christ. On the other hand, the Christian life would seem to be so very easy. It was the starting point of the ministry of Jesus that, that he simply went about showing concern for the people around him, that he, the, that he used his power to bless those who had great need. And, and can we not do that as well? Can we not simply show concern for others those round about us in our lives, we, we take it for granted, do we not? Uh, we, we work for someone for years. We live next to a person for years. But do we ever show concern for that person? Of course, the greatest concern must be for their salvation. Do they know Christ? Have they, have they heard the gospel? Concern is an underrated virtue. While it's the most basic virtue for Christians to have, it's the starting point of love. You have to have concern first before you can ever show someone love. It's the starting point, if we can put it that way, of Christ's own ministry. Why did God become man in the person of Jesus Christ? Because of God's concern for sinners. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then did you know that you are a believer because God was concerned for you? The passage before us this afternoon shows us the concern of Jesus for his disciples. And, uh, and if we follow the pattern that we should, then what we see of the relationship of Jesus to his disciples in the Gospels is the relationship that, uh, that we enjoy with Jesus as well. Jesus is concerned for us. 
Think about that. Jesus is concerned for you even right now. And that certainly is our great comfort. I I hope that this makes you want to be all the more a disciple of of Christ. Uh, It's it's the comfort of childhood. Do you remember childhood? Um, At least the way childhood was meant to be by God, uh, that children enjoy the care and the concern of their parents, uh, the care and concern of one who is greater than them, um, one who is able to to act and provide for them. That's that's really the blessing of childhood. I, as I get older, I, I I think about this the the great joy that it was, uh, even when I didn't recognize what a joy it was uh, to live under the care of my parents, to have them paying the bills, to have them providing the housing, to uh, the housing, to have them uh, filling the table with food. Uh, this is childhood, at least, again, what childhood should be. Um, plenty of children, of course, who who don't have that. Um, but otherwise, this is what childhood is, is meant to be by God. But do we understand this is what it means to be a child of God? This is what it means to be saved in Christ, to, to be brought into this royal family, to enjoy the lavish food upon the table that we experienced uh, this morning. Um, that's really the blessing of, of childhood. Those who, who enjoyed or are enjoying such a childhood can find in their experience the revelation of Christ's concern for his own. Those who, who miss that experience um, can find, by contrast, uh, the great blessing of living under the concern, the concern of Jesus for them as their Lord and their Savior. Well, we start out in this way uh, because in the passage before us, we can, we can see, to start with, the concern, the concern of Jesus for his disciples. This is a, a first point, and it, it, it's, uh, it's the heading, it's the, it's the lead uh, testimony of Scripture to the feeding of the 5,000. So we might skip by this early reference uh, in this passage and go directly to the feeding of the 5,000, but, but there's a, a hugely significant verse here, uh, Mark 6, verse 30, which says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and taught, and he said to them, this is what I want us to hear and really, really think about uh, this and, and its significance. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate, a desolate place and rest a while. And should we not find this terribly comforting that Jesus showed such concern for his disciples? Wouldn't you like to have a boss or a supervisor, whatever person? is in authority over you, wouldn't, wouldn't you like to hear them say, you know, you need some rest. Um, take the rest of the day off. Take the rest of the week off. Um, another gospel makes it clear that Jesus certainly had much to teach his disciples as they returned from their first experience as apostles. Remember that Jesus... Uh, uh, that Jesus had sent out his disciples to preach, teach, and, 
and, uh, and do miracles, thus making them not only disciples, but also apostles. Uh, the word apostle meaning one who is sent. It was, uh, it was a kind of internship. Uh, it was a kind of student teaching uh, for the twelve to be sent out on this uh, or, or at this earlier point in Jesus' ministry before they were sent out in earnest uh, after uh, the ascension and coming of the Spirit. So, so Jesus had much to teach them out of their first experience as apostles. But Mark seems struck by the even more basic concern of Jesus for the well-being of his disciples. I want, I want us to, to think about tonight how Jesus is concerned about your well-being. And, and we should hear these words of Jesus for ourselves. Listen to these words of Jesus for yourself. Come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. Remember also that when Jesus called his disciples, he called them into a relationship with him that was unprecedented at the time. Other teachers had disciples, but they were like students taking piano lessons, showing up for lessons, but otherwise they went away, back to their lives, back to uh, not being a bother to the, the teacher between lessons. Uh, Jesus, Jesus took his disciples instead full-time. Maybe the closest thing, as we've said in our own day, is a full-ride scholarship. As Jesus called his disciples, he committed himself to caring for his disciples 24-7, as we say. They followed him, depending upon him for everything. So Jesus was like a good boss, if you've ever had one. A, a boss who is certainly in an authority and, and in charge, but a boss who understands that that to get the most out of his employees, he, he needs to care for his employees. And this is actually what it means, that Jesus is our Lord. We might tend to, to think of Jesus as our Lord only in terms of having to obey him. We might tend to think uh, uh, of obeying Christ as our Lord. And, and yes, it, that's true. Uh, but a Lord, if it be a good Lord, is one who rules over those under him for their good. A good Lord is one who cares for, who, who provides for his subjects. And, and it's sin within us that makes us think to throw off the Lordship of, of Christ. But what in the world are we thinking when, when we think to do that? To throw off the Lordship of Christ is to throw off his care for us, starting with his concern for us. I want us to see how sweet this moment is uh, and, and, and how it should be such a comforting thing to us to, to see Jesus 
concern for his disciples. As the disciples returned after being sent out by Jesus, his first concern, his first concern was to provide rest for them. And it's a, it's a kind of microcosm of the eternal rest that Jesus would provide for them and for all who trust in him by submitting to his lordship. You, you've heard it before. You know the, the passage that Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The idea and, and even core reality of salvation is rest. We just came through the Halloween season for another year. And how often do we see the acronym R-I-P, Rest in Peace. The idea would seem to be that automatically to die is to rest. That's not what Scripture teaches. Instead, God's Word teaches that to die apart from Christ's finished work is to die, in a sense, unto eternal labor. Or more accurately, to die with labors eternally undone. Uh, Have you ever felt that way, that you have more to do than you could ever manage to accomplish. Our to-do list seems endless. Uh, The best hope we have is to let certain things on the list be forgotten. Just don't think about this and that and what needs to be done. That's, That's where we are in sin. The list is insurmountable. It's unaccomplished. It's, it's impossible. But the call to faith in Jesus our Lord, our Savior, our Provider, is to come to Him and rest. To come to Him and rest because He has accomplished for us the to-do list for our salvation. And so one hindrance to faith is the desire, of course, to do for ourselves. It stems from our pride. We experience our pride when someone, even a a fellow sinner, offers to help. Let me do that for you. Uh, uh, I am good at that. I can can do that for you more easily than you can do it for yourself. Uh, I will take that for you. No, no, we say. I don't want to be a bother to you. I will do it for myself. So we just need to understand that when it comes to salvation from sin, our pride leads us to hell. Because we can't do it for ourselves. So that insisting on doing it for ourselves is to insist on it not being done at all. So the call to faith, the call unto salvation... The gospel call is this. Come to me, said Jesus, and I will give you rest. I have done what you could never do yourself. That's why you are weary and heavy burdened in life, because you are striving to do what you can never accomplish. You are Sisyphus in Greek mythology, pushing that stone uphill, only to have it roll back over and over and over again throughout all eternity. So our culture is quick to say, rest in peace of those who die. 
but there is no rest, and there will be no peace for, they, for those who die apart from Christ. And without relying upon his finished work for them, for their salvation. Well, next we see the compassion of Jesus, starting with the concern of Jesus, but then the compassion of Jesus. One interesting thing about this story from our Lord's ministry is that uh, what he intended did not work out. Hard to know what to do with that. Uh, The rest that he intended to give his disciples didn't come about. It wasn't available uh, to him or to them. Uh, So what are we to make of this? That Jesus, our Lord, isn't able to give us uh, what he wants to give us? Well, certainly not. Instead, we have another lesson. We have a a certain kind of foreshadowing of the rest, the, the ultimate rest, that he would provide by his cross and resurrection. In the meantime, in verse 32, uh, it records that, and they went away in, in the boat to a desolate place by themselves, but many saw them going and recognized them. They ran there on foot ahead of them uh, from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So Jesus would have led his disciples away to a place of rest, but what happened? They, they didn't find it. They, they, they got uh, <coughs> torpedoed. Um, their vacation time was, was interrupted. Um, the need of the people was so great that ministry must continue. And what was Jesus' reaction? Was, was he perturbed like, like you and I might be when our vacation gets interrupted? Hey, this is my day off. Uh, Don't bother me. No, verse 34 informs us when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. How how easily we we fail to have compassion. How how quickly we we put our own needs. And granted, we have needs. We, We need times of rest. We need times... Of, of being restored and, and renewed in our spirits in our in our in, in our in, in, in our desire for things so we, we need times of rest but sometimes the sheer reality of the needs of others keeps us busy you parents know this right your uh, your your days and weeks and even months short of, of, of the sleep that you really need. But you have a responsibility to your children, so you do what needs to be done. This is Jesus. And when you do this, it's, it's, it's Jesus in you that's, that's doing it. Um, verse 34 informs us, when, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. Well, here's the compassion of Jesus, which, which we see consistently throughout the ministry of Jesus. Sheep without a shepherd. What a, what a marvelous image. And, and compare that with how we, we tend to look at people in need. Uh, I, I think we tend to say, well, I wonder how they got themselves into, into that miserable position. Uh, let them endure what they have earned. Uh, they made their bed, let them sleep in it. 
as the expression goes. But Jesus didn't see the crowds as, as suffering what they deserved. He saw them with compassion. Uh, the word compassion uh, is an easy word. Uh, it's even a word that we take for granted. The prefix com, C-O-M, means with. And the word passion obviously has to do with feeling. Uh, what one feels, in this case, what one feels along with another. If you have compassion on another, it's that you have come to feel what they are feeling. So what's interesting is that you can have compassion uh, on someone who is even doing well. You can join in the feeling of someone who is doing well, who is experiencing success and and blessing in life. And in fact, that's often why someone invites uh, you to dinner at their house, because they are feeling success and and they have an abundance to share with you. And, And you can have compassion by feeling with the one who is feeling good. Well, that's not how we generally hear the word compassion, is it not? I mean, the challenge comes in feeling with, having compassion, feeling with, the one who is suffering. Jesus saw the crowd as sheep without a shepherd. He saw their sickness. He saw their disease. He saw that they were oppressed by Satan. And he didn't say, well, they got what they asked for. They made their bed, let them sleep in it. Instead, Jesus uh, did two things. The only two things that we need to see. Number one, He saw that the crowd had need, and number two, that he had what they needed. Think about that. He saw saw that they had need, and he saw that he had what they needed. And so he had compassion on them. Next is the challenge of Jesus. First, we see the challenge of Jesus Uh, found in the fact that Jesus taught the people. Here were were people suffering from various afflictions, but Jesus knew that their greatest affliction was ignorance, their lack of knowledge. So uh, as often as we see Jesus doing miracles, healing the diseased, casting out demons, yet he was primarily committed to teaching the people. And it's a challenge issued to you and me that as many needs as we might legitimately have or think we have, are we willing to admit that our primary need is for the teaching of Jesus? And so even as we suffer, the the question that should come to mind is, is what can I learn from this experience in suffering? And that's not to belittle any suffering that we experience But is this too unfeeling? It can seem so, especially when we are under severe suffering. Generally, when you visit someone who is suffering, you don't say, hmm, well, now, what are you learning from your experience in suffering? And yet, that's really the case, that that when Jesus found a crowd of needy people, think about this, he found a crowd of needy people His first concern was to teach them. But the further challenge of Jesus comes in his challenge to his disciples. 
Jesus had compassion for the people, but he would also teach his disciples to have compassion. That's the the thrust of this passage. And so verse 35 records, And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. Remember, Jesus had said, Let's go away to a desolate place so that you can rest. Here they say, Well, here we are. This is a desolate place. But all these people are here. And the hour is late, so send them away, Jesus, so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, You give them something to eat. That's a challenge from Jesus, is it not? You give them something to eat. And it fits with our own prayers all too often. We might pray for someone someone who is suffering, asking God to bless that person with comfort and peace and whatever else they need. But might we not hear the answer from God, you give them something to eat. What are you asking me for? Has not God given us more than we really need? Does not our cup overflow? And will we only build bigger barns only to keep what we have for ourselves. The disciples' answer is all too often our answer in the needs of, uh, of others. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? We know there was a treasury for the ministry of Jesus, and it, it seems sure that the disciples knew what was in it. Judas, of all people, Judas Iscariot was the treasurer, and we are told that he was also an embezzler from these funds. But it, it seems likely that, uh, that, um, that they knew that there was 200 denarii in the, in the treasury. That's a significant amount of money. So on one hand, the disciples were saying, perhaps we don't even have that amount of money needed to feed all these people. and But even if we did have that amount of money, are we going to blow it all on one shot? On the other hand, it, it reveals a lack of faith in the disciples. They had just come back from being sent out by Jesus to preach and to teach and to do miracles. Why didn't they expect that Jesus was about to do a great miracle? And so... To complete the lesson, Jesus commanded them all to sit down in in groups on the green grass. I think that's a very deliberate reference from uh, from Mark. Why, Why say that? Why say had them sit in groups on the green grass? Well, it's it's a picture, is it not, of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down. In green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And we should note the word commanded. That's an intentional reference as well. Jesus didn't uh, encourage them. He, he, he He didn't invite them. He commanded them to sit down and to be fed. This shows us the authority of Jesus and that his blessing comes by way of his authority. 
Why do we chafe? Why, why do we resist the authority of Jesus over us when His blessing comes to us by way of His authority? We chafe and we resist because of sin. But true faith bows the knee to Christ and does so promptly and sincerely when we come to see that His authority means His blessing to us. It's the devil who will tell us otherwise. It's the flesh that will lead us to resist the authority, the lordship of Jesus Christ our Savior. His authority is our salvation. He commanded the people, sit down and eat. I will provide for you. And in this we see the power of Jesus. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples to set before the people. He divided two fish among them all. Two fish. Two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. I think most commentaries point out that here's a, an, an intentional reference to men. Sometimes when Scripture refers to men, it means men and women, people. And the ESV, for example, often translates it as people because that's the intent of the, of the, of the text. But I think most commentators here point out that this is a, an intentional reference. It was 5,000 men, not counting women and children, so that those who ate and were satisfied were perhaps 10,000 or more. The exact number we don't know and the exact number we don't need to know because the miracle itself is clear. But along with seeing the miracle and the power of Jesus is again to see the concern of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus for the people. And you and I can take this to heart. If we would look to Christ as our Savior, He has the same concern for you. He has the same concern for me. And He has the same power yesterday as He has today. And He can do whatever He wants to do. He can provide whatever He wants to provide. And He never did any miracle just to show off. He never did any miracle just to show His power. Every miracle He did was to be a blessing to those who received His, his healing power, His delivering power, His power to raise even the dead from the grave. We know ultimately that Jesus went to the cross and there He paid for our sin. The ultimate expression of His concern, of His compassion, of His power 
is Jesus going to the cross for you and for me? The last point in closing is the teaching of Jesus. You say, well, we already covered that, right? He was teaching earlier. Well, he's teaching again here. Because how many baskets? How many baskets were collected of the leftover food? Twelve. How many disciples were there? Twelve. And who were the ones who were saying, really, you want us to give away all our money? The twelve disciples. It's it's unmistakable that 12 baskets full of food was left over, one for each of the disciples. Why? To show them they don't have to be stingy. You don't have to withhold what God has given you. God can drop into your lap whatever you need at any moment throughout your life. We don't have to be stingy. We don't have to get and grab and keep the blessings of this life because we have a God and we have a Savior. We have a Master who is caring for us, who is watching over us, who is aware every moment of our needs and who has promised that He will provide for us. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. He broke the loaves, he gave it to his disciples. He divided the two fish among them and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets. Why not, why not 11? Why not 13? Well, because there were 12 disciples. They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Will you not yield to the power and the authority of this one who is so set upon blessing you? Will you not be blessed by him as you submit to him in faith? Amen. Let's pray. We thank you for these wonderful stories. Stories that display to us, proclaim to us, testify to us of the truth of who Jesus is and who he is to us. As we look to him in faith and trust in him and rely upon him, Lord God, thank you for these marvelous stories and for what they teach us and help us to take these lessons to heart that we might have great peace and uh, that we might refrain from worry and from stinginess, from hoarding of the goods that you give. Help us to see how rich we are in Christ and how easily he can give whatever he wants us to have. So, Lord, help us to live for you, to be your faithful disciples. Thank you for these lessons. May they take root in our lives and, uh, and bring us uh, to an ever greater faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.